Welcome back to Chin Music, our baseball show at TalkNorth.com. Roy Smalley, usually one of the stars of the show, is off this week. So it's going to be Lavelle E. Neal III from the Star Tribune and myself, along with producer Brandon Morton. We're going to get into all the issues facing the team right now. Uh, Let's start here, Lavelle. We were talking uh, before the show started about Carlos Correa. Now, we're talking here on Thursday afternoon, and, you know, news could break at any moment. So we're not going to talk about the actual news, but let's just talk about the fact as I wrote about into in Friday's paper online on Thursday, the twins are once again dealing with a crazy spate of injuries. Pretty much they've had injuries at every position. They really haven't rolled out their full lineup yet. They left Correa and Kirilov in spring training longer. And, you know, Polanco, I mean, play, excuse me, Polanco in spring training for an extended period of time. He comes back, he plays three weeks, he goes back on the injured list. Uh, Kirilov has missed time. They've all missed time. It's crazy. So I did a piece uh, for the Friday paper and again, Thursday online where I just talk about this and I had a conversation with Carlos Correa and, and know what he said? He actually said, well, we can't take all that stuff anymore. And he mentioned greenies. You know, he might've been alluding to the fact that some players take other performance enhancing drugs. You're saying that you, you can't take anything to get yourself through the tough times in a season now. And you're also uh, working harder than ever. More, you have more explosive athletes, therefore more brittle athletes. I mean, I don't think there's any scientific answer to why the twins are having all these injuries, but the anecdotal evidence is uh, these guys work out so hard year round Mm -hmm. that they're almost wound too tight. No, I totally agree. You know, um, we're coming into an era now where, um, you know, I didn't even know, let's see, when I first started covering ball in like the mid nineties, I didn't even know what oblique strain was. All of a sudden there's a rash of oblique strains. And then within the last 10, 12 years, hip labrum tears, that didn't exist. Mm-hmm. That did not exist back in the day. And I and just Dr. Neil talking here. I always thought that was something fishy going on with the individual as soon as they have hip labrum problems, you know? So, but it is, it's hard. People have to come into camp in shape, not use camp to get in shape. And, um, you know, the, they try to treat the bodies like temples. Guys have like 5% body fat. Um, and, you know, things tear off the bone due to stress and, and overuse and exertion. You know, it's, uh, as you said, it's an explosive sport. You go from zero to 100, you know, you're standing in the outfield, you have to break on the ball. You swing at a pitch and you hit it, you got to take off out of the box. You know, you're on the bases, you got to get a good jump. And it's about a lot of explosion and a lot of power. And injuries happen. Uh, it's just that Correa's, I mean, Correa's argument about we can't take greenies or whatever, you know, there were, there were people before him who used that to, to the point where the league had to stop it. So blame your predecessors on that one, Carlos. But it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate as planner because my experience with planner is, is that that it takes a while for it to go away. Now, if he, if he, if he avoids the IL, more power to him. But I can't see how he's going to avoid the IL stint uh, as we talk here on the Thursday. Yeah, he told me on Wednesday afternoon when I was talking to him one-on-one that he said, I, he just said it like, I'm glad I avoided the IL. He made it sound like he is not going the IL. We'll find out. In the, we'll probably find out Friday afternoon whether he's going on the IL or not. There was some hope uh, from Carlos and from other people in the organization that he could avoid it. But we'll, we'll see about that. Uh, it's just a shame that Royce Lewis can't come back sooner than next week because Royce Lewis would be your best third baseman. He'd be your best shortstop. If Correa and Royce Lewis are playing short and third together, it means Kyle Farmer can, you know, do, he can be your, your super utility player. And he's very good at that. Uh, and Correa has had a difficult year so far, uh, I do see signs of him coming out of that slump. He's drawn a lot of walks lately. He's had some right. hard hit balls caught, uh, yeah. but 
I want, you know, I want to see what this team can do if it's relatively healthy. And I want to see what it can do if it's when it's relatively healthy and Royce Lewis is playing every day. So I think Royce Lewis could be the key to the whole season. Uh, offensively, he definitely could be. Um, and it's, it's a lot to ask of a guy who only has like a handful of major league games as experience to come up and reignite this, to ignite this offense. I guess you can't say reignite if the ignition was never turned on in the first place. Uh, but it's going to be putting a lot on him to come and save the day. But the combination of him being up and Karloff being there and hopefully Correa not having to land on the IL, like he says he, he plans on, you know, maybe you'll get some continuity going in that lineup where you can uh, be a little more confident about scoring runs on a daily basis. Um, as soon as someone does anything with the bases loaded, I think it's going to be a big relief to the entire uh, lineup and they'll start excelling in those situations of uh, batting under what 140 now with the bases loaded. It's just mind boggling to me. And plus, uh, uh, Jim, two of the more interesting wins recent time was yesterday against the Giants and the second game against the Dodgers. And what happened in those two games? They were aggressive in the base paths. They took extra bases. They stole bases. Uh, I think there was a squeeze play in the, in the Dodgers game. Um, you know, Willie Castro was stole third yesterday. It, it was it was more it was entertaining and productive. Uh, the way they went about their business. I mean, Royce Lewis is going to be. They're probably their second or third best athlete since he gets up here. He definitely can run, um, so he's going to give Rocco another option to to steal, um, you know, put the ball in play, squeeze player or something. So, I, I, like I said, I don't want him to be viewed as the savior because a bunch of other guys going to step up here um, to get this offense out of the out of the uh, out of the basement. But you know, the combination of him with some other guys, you may be able to see the best version of the Twins office here sooner than later. Let's get into situational baseball uh, because that's I think that's what's been biting the Twins has kept them from building a bigger lead. This is Chin Music, a baseball show at TalkNorth.com. Uh, thanks to everyone who came out to the Loon. See our last live show. We're planning another live show June 13th, still finalizing the exact time and place, but it'll probably be 5.30 right near the ballpark. We'll give you more information as we get it. Uh, thanks to, we are coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services studio. Thanks to Aquarius Home Services. Thanks to All Energy Solar and First Minnetonka City Bank. We're your locally owned community bank. And thanks also to Grainbelt, who is sponsoring our live shows. Uh, yes. So they've, it's really interesting to me that they've been, to me, a very good situational base running team. They've been aggressive. They've taken the extra base now. Lately, they've been stealing a lot of bases. They executed a double steal yesterday. They've been successful in using the, the safety squeeze. And yet they've been a terrible situational hitting team. And I just think... You know, sometimes stats stand on their on in their own isolated way, and they don't have much to do. like. Like, you, there have been good hitting teams over the years that have gotten into a slump with the bases loaded because it gets in people's heads, or it's just coincidence. This is different. This team's a bad situational hitting team with the bases loaded, and when they need to pr- get a productive out because they strike out too much, and because they don't work the pitcher, they just swing randomly. And it, I usually don't blame hitting coaches for hitting problems. But in this case, man, I, I just I feel like the entire team needs to improve its situational hitting, and that does come down to the hitting coach, you know, getting people's heads in the right way. As a hitting coach, you got to be part psychologist sometimes, and you, you either use be stern or you use humor or you use numbers to 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 make your point. You know, um, James Rousen, I hate to bring him up, but James Rousen used to. I was about to, to bring him up. 
tell his hitters, you know, hey, you see that picture? The one with the, with the shiny red nose? Just aim for it, you know, <laughs> things like that, you know, just to get, get guys a little loose and uh, go about their business, you know. Um, Rousen, by the way, is the assistant uh, hitting coach with the Tigers, I believe, right now. And by the way, one thing I haven't researched is can you hire? I mean, obviously, in the offseason, you can hire somebody if they're getting a promotion. Could they? Could the Twins go hire James Rousen today if they wanted to? I, I want to say yes. I want to say it's definitely possible for them to do that. Um, the question is, uh, hopefully James will be willing to come back. Um, I know he aspired to be a manager and he thought going to Miami and being the offensive coordinator under Don Manley was going to get him closer to, uh, closer to that goal. But, you know, things went sideways there and uh, people moved on. But um, sharp guy, good motivator, sh- smart about hitting. And he, he, was a, he was a plus for his organization. And, uh, you know, I don't know much about David Popkins. I, I just know that um, it does a lot of times hitters make hitting coaches look good. You can't tell me that a hitting coach can't make the difference when it's time to excel uh, when guys are on base. I, I know the, the mental approach, you know, just touching the ball. You know, I've always been a big proponent, Jim. Like, if you're batting third, fourth, or fifth in the lineup, just by playing the game the right way, you're going to fall across 75 RBIs a year, you know? Then what you do in some situations determines whether that 75 is going to get to 100 or 110, you know? But just by playing the game right and putting the bat on the ball, good things happen. And they're, they're not even putting the bat on the ball in these situations. A fly ball is not the end of the world if it's going to score a run. You know, uh, hitting, the, hitting the ground at opposite, to the opposite field or hitting it the right, right side of the infield to get around home, that's, that's a productive out. Um, but you, you, you're not competing if you're, if you're not going to make contact in those situations. And I, I don't know, I don't know uh, how much that is to blame with the hitting coach, but you got to scratch your head when uh, you look at the Twins offense as a whole. And we, we've said this, too, coming into the season. They didn't have a leadoff hitter because they traded him. And they don't have a cleanup hitter because Nelson Cruz is gone. They really haven't filled in for those two spots, although I think Rockle is comfortable with Buxton in the four hole. But so it's kind of it's hard to build a, a productive offense when you're kind of missing a couple traits in there. But my goodness, there's got to be some, some way he can get to these guys about just doing more when – a one touch of the bat on the ball is going to score a run. Yeah, and he's talked about it lately. He said, hey, hit hit the ball forward, you know, and it's it's so true. They've had so many situations where if they just hit a a, a ground ball or a medium deep fly ball, they would have scored right. runs. And you score runs in those situations, people loosen up, and, you know, you win more. I mean, let's face it, they'd probably be three to five games better off right now if they were just better situational hitters. And, you know, what? I don't mind – strikeouts when the bases are empty because a strikeout is about the same as a ground out to short. Right. But, but there are a lot of situations where they need to put the ball in play and they're not. And that, that can't, that can't continue. And the thing is too, Jim, is that the pitchers are the one that should be nervous in these situations. Yep. There's no room. There's very little room for error when the bases are loaded and there's like less than two outs, you know, um, he's the one that should, should be nervous. Now, you know, do I want to see good at bats in those situations? Yeah. If the pitcher's going to walk you, let him walk you. You know, but, you know, I keep thinking about Justin Morneau. Morney was a big ambush guy against relievers, especially if they were just coming into the game because he really believed that they they were going to make sure they get strike one. So he mm-hmm. was looking to hack. And so I think, yes, you want a pitcher to walk you if he's determined to walk you, but you also have to be ready for a fastball over the middle of the plate, uh, especially early in the count, because these guys don't want to fall behind with, with the bases loaded. 
one of the smartest conversations I ever had with a hitter was Knobloch in his prime. And I know Knobloch, I'm not talking what? about Knobloch. I'm not talking about <laughs> Knobloch, the human being. I'm talking about Knobloch as a scrawny little guy who turned himself into somebody who hit 341 with power and made the New York Yankees want him. Uh, he was a great player for a, number, for a handful of years there. And he was a tough out. And his philosophy was, I'm either going to jump all over your get it over pitch on pitch one, or I'm going to try to get you to a full count. And, and it was, it's pretty ingenious. And obviously that doesn't always play that way, but his, his thought process was either you're going to throw me a cookie pitch one, I'm going to jump all over it, or I'm going to make you throw 10 pitches. I'm going to wear you down and get the pitch I want eventually. And that not that it always played out that way, but that's a great mentality. And this team almost has the opposite approach. This team is almost like, I'm going to wait until I'm 0-2 and then I'm going to take a big swing at the ball. Yeah. Yeah, that that, that baffles me. Um, and I know there's a lot of guys who just swing hard because they like to swing hard. I mean, Gallo with the bases loaded, you know what he's going to try to do. And maybe there's a maybe there's a situation where he just needs to, I don't want to say cut down on a swing, but... Cut down on a swing. Yes, he the, should. And yeah, that in yeah, some situations, he should. He needs to do something to put the ball in play. And good things happen when you put the ball in play, man. I just... It's uh, not block. I tell you what, you know, I mean, I got, he was, he was a very, he was a damn good ball player. Um, I was covering the Royals at the time when the twins came in. I think that's when we met actually. Uh, mm-hmm. The Royals came in and uh, I mean, the twins came into town to play the Royals and Milder hit his 3000 home run at uh, 3000 hit. Yep. And not like had to steal his bluster with his 1000 hit in the same game. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then they both hit 341 that year. You know? they did. Think about that. The twins had two guys at 341. Yeah. It was amazing. Well, well, that team, and that this gets to the Twins' curses with injuries. Uh, that team, if Puckett had been healthy and if Aguilera had been healthy, they would have. I mean, they scored a lot of runs. Milder hit three forty one. Knobloch hit three forty one. Rich Becker had his only good year. Stohoviak had his only decent year. Uh, Marty Cordova's rookie of the year. If that no, that was uh, Cordova had a very productive year. I think it was his second year. Yeah. Uh, if Puckett had been in that lineup. He would have driven in 140 runs. They would have scored a million runs. And if Aggie had been the starting pitcher they wanted him to be that year, they would have made the playoffs. And instead, uh, with the, with Aggie getting hurt, Puckett, you know, losing his career, and Milder eventually getting older after that, that's when they went into their the the slide where they weren't even trying to compete in the late 90s. I remember that team. I thought that team from afar could hit its way into the postseason that year. Yep. But I, I also I'm trying to look it up now. I also think I also believe. I think Eddie Guardado was starting that year. <laughs> I think he was in the rotation. Uh, Eddie, maybe. I think, started. No, I think Eddie was, at that point, I think Eddie was more of a utility pitcher and a one-out lefty. Hmm. Because I think he oh, came cool. up in like 93, 94 and failed as a starter. And I think by the 96, he was he was he had been moved to the bullpen, but he hadn't established himself yet. Was it Frankie Rodriguez that may have been in rotation at that time? Frankie Rodriguez was in the rotation, yes. Okay, by the way, maybe. Frankie Rodriguez, we're in uh, the teams in New York. And I go up to Frankie and I said, I, I know you grew up in the Bronx. Let me go, you know, can I go over and talk to some of your people and kind of write a story about where you grew up? He said, he said, here's the deal. Uh, and they all called me Sue. You know, he said, here's the deal, Sue. Uh, here's the address. It's the barbershop where I hung out. These guys would love to talk to you. You need to get a cab. You need to pay the cab to not leave while you're in there. Uh, you have the cab pull up to the barbershop. You run into the barbershop. You do your interviews. You run out of the barbershop, get back in the backseat of the cab, and you get the hell out of there. And I did. And it was great. Uh, Marty Cordova drove in 111 runs on that team. Yes. And think what Puck would have done. Let's see here. Racky, Frankie Rodriguez, Rich Robertson, Scott Aldred, Rick Aguilera. Aggie was yep. a starter then. 
well, they wanted Aggie to be a starter. And that year, that was the year that the last day of spring training, Aggie picked up a suitcase and hurt his wrist. Right. Puckett woke up and couldn't see. Your buddy Dave Stevens was the closer. And my buddy Dave Stevens was the closer. That was the it was that was like the worst day, one of the worst days in twins history. Aggie hurt himself and Puckett's career ended all in the same morning. <sighs> wow. Just wow. brutal. All right, let's get to some happier thoughts or some newer thoughts. I uh, do <laughs> want to thank All Energy Solar. Uh, there's a lot to worry about when running a business. Your utility bill shouldn't be at the top of that list. Solar energy cuts down on unpredictable utility costs, making your job just a little easier. Find out more about how your business can go solar at allenergysolar.com slash learn or go to allenergysolar.com slash coach to get your free solar evaluation and understand how all energy solar panel installations are done right and made easy because of all their experience. Uh, Thank you to First Minnetonka City City Bank, where you're locally owned community bank. First Minnetonka City Bank, where you're locally owned community bank. Phone calls are answered by real people instead of a never-ending voicemail system. Dedicated financial representatives who really care about your personal, business, mortgage, and investment objectives. First Minnetonka City Bank is an independent community bank that offers the same wealth of products and services as larger banks, yet provides the highest quality customer service that other banks forget. We take the time to develop one-on-one relationships with our customers. The same banker will work with you year after year, providing the long-term understanding necessary to tailor our services to your changing needs. First Minnetonka City Bank. Stop by or call one of our convenient locations to experience the First Minnetonka difference for yourself. And of course, we are coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services studio. Thanks again to Aquarius Home Services. Scott here, your Aquarius Home Services radio guy. Remember complaining about how long the winter was? And now it's time to get ready for hot, humid summer days. Be worry-free with your AC and schedule your tune-up with Aquarius. A quality-trained technician will do a thorough evaluation, review all the details and recommendations, and answer any questions. At Aquarius, our goal is to always provide amazing service and earn the right to be recommended. We're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. All right, I interrupted you, Lavelle. What were you going to say? Uh, I was actually going to head. You want a happy thought? It's going to head to the Knoblock trade to the Yankees because that that's yes. a trade that actually ended up working. And we're we're questioning the Tyler Miley trade and the Chris Paddock and Amelia Pagan trades, but the Twins got like a twelve year run out of that Knoblock trade because they got back Brian Buchanan, Christian Guzman, and Eric Milton, and also Danny Moda, but he never amounted to anything. But Buchanan became Jason Bartlett. Uh, Milton pitched well for the Twins, made the All-Star team one year, then was traded to Philly for uh, Carlos Silva and Nick Punto. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Nick Punto became the cap- Captain Piranha. So S- Silva, like, walked like 12 guys one year. It, it was like, it was like ridiculous. And then uh, Guzzi had a run, got injured the one year the Twins were threatened. Guzzi ended up signing with Washington. The compensation pick the Twins got for Guzzi, they drafted Brian Dunsing with. And Dunsing actually had some solid moments with the Twins. He did. He did. He, did. he was he was useful. It was unfortunate that he had to start game one of the ALDS against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> but but um, you think about when that trade was made, because it was, it was my, I guess, got hired in 97. So that trade was made for the 98 season. But Dunsing pitched for the Twins, I want to say, he's recently like 03, 04, I want to say. And, uh, and that's a great run uh, for a deal because – a year from now, the Twins may have nothing to show for Tyler Molly and Chris Paddock. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe Paddock comes back. Uh, you know, they signed him long term. He's a two time Tommy, Tommy John guy, though. That, that's a rough club I'm not, to be a I'm member not, of. I'm not promising he's going to be good. I'm just, I'm intrigued, though, because he's such a physical specimen. And they, they had, re, you know, they, they signed him long term when they didn't have to. So they obviously have some optimism. And, you know, well, let's go back to this. Um, you know, people get so excited about trade deadline deals. And I'm always lukewarm on them because I think you have to overpay to make a deal at that time of year. Yeah. And they trade for Mali. They got really no, almost nothing out of them. Uh, they they get Jorge Lopez. Lopez is a good pitcher, but he hasn't pitched well lately, and he didn't pitch well at the, well at the end of last year. Uh, they get Fulmer, who didn't make much of a difference, and they give up some good prospects. I mean, that as we get closer to this July and people start saying you should trade for everybody, just remember, for a trade deadline deal to be worthwhile – the individual player you get has to perform well. The individual player you get has to elevate your franchise. And you have to not give up something. Somebody's going to make you regret that deal for the next five to 10 years. I agree. Um, yeah, then looking back at it, Jim, I would have made those trades if I was the twins. I would have added yeah. Tyler Molly. He was he was he was a durable starter at the time. We didn't know what was in his arm when he got here. Um, I would have made the trade for uh for Jorge Lopez. Now, because basically the Yenier Cano did not show anything. He's with the Twins. Nope. You know, I, I thought that was a fine trade, bringing in yep. an established guy for a guy who may be a question mark. Well, Cano's answered the questions this year. He started the season like a 22-game scoreless streak, a <laughs> 22-inning scoreless streak. And I think he just gave up his first hit the other day. So uh, that one's smarting a little bit, but I think I still would have taken both, made both those moves. Yeah, and I don't. I, I like the fact that this front office is very aggressive and very creative, and they feel like if you lose a piece or that you that's valuable, you can make up for it some other way. I I like all of that. Uh, I also, you know, it really comes down to Laval so much with baseball and baseball discussion is: do you want to be a first guesser or a second guesser? Right. You know, because because it, it's so easy to say, okay, that move didn't work, therefore it wasn't a good move. But you always have to make the assessment at the time, does this seem reasonable now? And I certainly would have traded Cano at that point. Yep, definitely. And here's the thing. The Twins are going to need two relievers before the deadline. Not one, two. I think they're going to need another lefty because uh, Moran's just too hot and cold for me. Um, it'll, it'll be a plus when Thilbar gets healthy. And they're probably going to need another right-hander. I think we anticipated or, or, uh, uh, Jorge Akala to all of a sudden come yep. back and continue on that developmental path he was on before he got injured. Yep. And it's not that easy. You know, it's just not that simple. Um, so they need another right-hander at least. And they need a lefty, I think, before the deadline. What's that going to cost them? I, I'm, and I, I'm saying this too. The other thing is, is that to tr get relief help, it shouldn't cost you that much. You know, to me, I call them spare parts. You, you're going to want something more than a little bit more than a spare part, a guy who can step in and be a guy in the seventh inning just to get to like the last two innings, you know? Um, I don't know if they want to look for a bat, but the only place I'd, Look at a to put a bat would be maybe right field, uh, you know. So I think I think they'll have no trouble finding a quality reliever to trade for. If they want to boost offense, I don't know. Maybe right field. I don't know where else they would they would uh, put a bat unless Buxton decides he he's willing to play center and then DH bottle opens up. Yeah, I think Buxton moving to center field solves all, all kinds of problems. Strengthens your outfield's defense, strengthens your outfield offense, opens up DH for you know one of the guy many guys they have who can be a yep. DH uh, at a rotating basis. If Royce Lewis comes up and hits uh, that, I mean, I, I think Buxton in center field, Royce Lewis at third base solve a lot of your problems. If Miranda gets hot, he can always be a right-handed uh, yep. you know yep. utility player, DH pinch hitter. Uh, there are all kinds of ways you can go after that. Uh, 
what do you think? So here's the thing. I, I, I didn't rip on Rocco for using Pagan in LA because I felt like Pagan gave you a great month, solid month. Eventually you're going to have to find out if he could handle a tougher situation. He didn't. What about Stewart? Stewart still has a zero ERA. He's throwing nasty stuff up there. He's throwing 98 miles an hour. He is walking too many people. Do you, do you have any faith in, in Stewart solving some of their bullpen problems? I think he can help. Um, that arm is ridiculously live. Um, I like watching him pitch because I just think he's going to throw some nasty stuff up there. And the walks may, some of the walks will become, will come as a result of him being too nasty, but I wouldn't mind giving him a shot in like a seventh inning situation and see how he handles that. And then if there's a game in which you want to go to him instead of, uh, or he Lopez, give him a chance. I, I've, I've got no problems with that. Um, he's he's going to be motivated. You know, he's, he's had multiple years off. He hasn't, he hadn't pitched since 2019 in the majors until this year. So he's going to be motivated and he's going to be, he's going to be want, he's going to want to prove his worth and prove he can help this team in tight spots. I just think mentally he be, he should be in a good spot where he would not be overwhelmed coming into a big situation. So I'm all for giving uh Brock Stewart a chance uh, in, in slightly higher leverage situations. And the other thing here is that uh, of course, everybody wants them to win every day. They want to win every day. But you also are building a team, and you were eventually going to have to find out about Pagan. Now you know. Now he's a sixth inning guy. Uh, and if he pitches poorly, you cut him. Uh, if Stewart, you got to try him out. Because if he, he you know, you don't want to go trade for another right-hander if Stewart's better than that right-hander. You have to find out. You're going to have to put him in a high-leverage situation see how he does. With that stuff, he's got a real chance. I really think that uh, between Stewart, Jackson, Moran, they need to – they need to see if they can get those guys right before they have to make any big decisions. Because if those guys get right uh, with the stuff they have, they could be the, the answers to this bullpen. Yeah. I noticed uh, Jack's last outing. Was it two days ago against the giants? Mm-hmm. It looked like he was changing his, uh, he was changing his uh, sequencing of pitches. I think he was holding off on throwing off speed stuff more and just trying to get ahead and trying to work off that. And that's a little bit different than, him throwing breaking pitch after breaking ball up there. So I, I, I think he's trying to figure out something here to kind of help him right the ship here. Cause you know, a year ago he had like a three something ERA and looked like he uh, was going to be a guy. And even this year he's got, he's, he's striking out 10 and a half batters for nine innings, which would be a career high. Um, but he's getting hit. He's, he's just getting hit more than he ever 25 hits in 21 innings after last year, when he only gave 56 hits in 72 innings. So uh, he's trying to find a way not to get hit, and it uh, looks like changing his repertoire uh, may be his first attempt at adjusting to what's going on. Yeah, uh, the the arm is too live for them to give up on him. Uh, there are still good arms out there. They haven't performed well lately, uh, but but I you know again before the trade deadline comes, you need to find out about what you have in house, uh, and I want to see what those guys can do. Now that they kind of know that they need a pitch for their jobs. Uh, last note for this week. Once again, he's LaBelle. I'm Jim. Brandon Morton is our producer. Thank you for listening to TalkNorth.com. Best way to listen to this show or any show at the network, subscribe to your favorite podcast app. It is free. It's the easiest way to listen. Uh, check out – we have two football shows. We have a bunch of hockey shows, outdoor shows, variety shows. Check it all out at TalkNorth.com, and thank you for listening. Uh, last note here, LaBelle, I think the pitch clock has been a – Wonderful development for baseball. I think the robot ump has got cannot get here soon enough. We are seeing bad calls, 
that alter the flow of the game and determine outcomes way too often. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and, and the purist of me says the game's played and should be judged by humans, but uh, you want to get but these calls right. Suck. Yeah, humans do suck. And uh, it, it may be time to just make sure, you know, we got instant replay now to make sure umpires don't make call, miss calls on the bases. And it's too much of riding on these pitches now. And I, my conspiracy theory is this, is that because Major League Baseball is allowing, you know, they're signing agreements with, with betting corpora- corporations and you get a handful of teams that have sports books in or next to their ballparks. The Wrigley's building, uh, the Ricketts family's building one next to Wrigley that, you know, the whole gambling thing, when which thousands or millions of dollars could shift on a umpire's errant ball strike call, you know, is, is something that they're concerned about. And so I, I think the the robot umpire will get here. And uh, I think they'll use the version in which uh, the umpire calls a game until a hitter or a catcher or a pitcher wants to challenge a decision. And then they'll go to robo umpire um, to determine what was right. You know, kind of like what we see in tennis when a player challenges a ball that's in or out, you're going to see animation on the screen and you're going to see the ball traveling. It's going to cross the plate and it's going to say either ball or strike. And, you know, based on the, from talking with the people in the Saints who have been experimenting with it, it actually revs up the dugout and it gets fans involved now because they can see all this unfolding. Uh, so it may be good for a game. It may add another level of excitement to baseball. I say let's make it happen. I love it. Hey, good stuff from Lavelle. Royal will be back One quick soon. thing, Jim. Yes, yes please we, go ahead. We, we have to say something about Tina Turner passing away before. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know what? Like, <laughs> we have not talked about music, so I wasn't thinking that. But yes, let's please talk about Tina Turner. Yeah, I took it lightly at the time. It was 2009. I think it was American Music Awards. And Beyonce came on stage with Tina Turner and sang Proud Mary. And I remember watching, going, oh, that's nice. You know, you have uh, one of the legends in, in Tina Turner and one of the up-and-coming legends of Beyonce. But now looking back on that, how monumental of a performance that was to have those two icons on the stage at the same time. And I believe Tina Turner was 69 at the time and had performance. And she still looked like she could do like a two and a half hour concert. Um, so much energy, so much passion in what she did. And one of the greatest rock roll entertainers of all time, male, female, uh, she, it doesn't matter. She brought down the house whenever she took the stage. No, uh, incredible life story. I saw the play uh, about Tina Turner in New York. Um, mm-hmm. And her story is amazing. What she overcame, where she came from, dealing with Ike's abuse, uh, yep. setting out on her own. Being, and she was a symbol of, so many things, you know, uh, the, the power of women, uh, the, the ability of black people to overcome their circumstances, yeah. uh, under the worst circumstances, uh, you know, a, she's a survivor, uh, and one of the, and, and she, she cut her way through a business that just uses people up and throws them away. She stuck, she hung in there, uh, an amazing singer, an amazing dancer, amazing athlete. I really think people like her who, who do what they do on stage, uh, for so many years are great athletes. Uh, and, and, you know, she's, she, to me, she's one of the great figures in music history. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it was funny yesterday because, uh, I started texting with some of my friends around the text screen together and we started talking about Tina Turner. So I started answering questions with lyrics from Tina Turner songs. And one of my <laughs> friends made some smart ass comment. I said, I'm hurt. I'm wounded. I said, who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? <laughs> it just busted everybody up. <laughs> but that's how, that's how I'm going to remember Tina Turner forever, is that I'm going to remember all her lyrics and throw them out there at the, at the appropriate time. Oh, that's great. <laughs> great stuff, Liddell. Thank you. 
<laughs> no problem, guys. <laughs>